0: morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to OCC. It's an exciting time. Like John said, we've got a lot going on and we're really glad you're here. We hope you'll join us for some of the events that are coming up. Certainly excited to see all of you here uh, for worship this morning. And I've got some special guests that I wanted to introduce to all of you. We have some friends from the connection ministry in Germany. These are, uh, they represent three campus ministries, uh, in Germany, two in, in the west part of Germany, uh, one of the ministries in the east part of Germany. And I had the privilege along with some of our, some of our leaders here and some others from our church's network uh to travel to Germany and to spend some time with the connection ministry and so it was really a pleasure to be there now they've returned the favor to come to visit our churches out here in the in the west coast and um, for some of them this is a trip return trip to california for others this is the first time here and so uh but I want to welcome them so would you guys stand and then uh this is our friends from connection so let's and just a real quick rundown of who these folks are uh, to the left is Anya and Eileen. They're from the city of Bonn, and they uh, Anya leads a campus ministry there in Bonn and has helped to further the gospel in, in a campus her in, in a university campus where where she lives. And then uh, Alex, why don't you wave your hand? And then the two guys that came with Alex. Uh, let's see, Jonas and Jimmy. They're from the town uh, city called Braunschweig. and if you've heard the name Brunswick from the bowling, that's uh, I think that's where. Yes, they're nodding. They're giving me the nod, like, yes, that's true. And while I was in, when I was in Braunschweig, they, uh, they took me bowling. I was still recovering from my surgery, so I just had to spectate. But I was, you know, you know, technically bowling in, in Braunschweig, which is kind of exciting. So. And then Robin and, and Christopher, uh, the guys right there, they are from uh, a town called Jena in, in East Germany. And I spent some days with them as well. Had a great time visiting with them and their church that, that they have there. And so you guys can be seated. And I want to tell you all a little bit about the Connection Ministry and this team that's here. In their cities, uh, there, there is a very small percentage of Christ followers in these towns in Germany. So uh, anywhere from one half of one percent to, and even some cities even less than that, but one half of one percent up to maybe four percent. Christ followers in these uh, German cities, and it's even less on the university campuses, so they are a minority in their cities as far as Christ followers, so there's this huge opportunity for them to be doing ministry. Three of those are the leaders, uh, Robin, Alex, and Anya, they they all three uh, raise their own support and they serve the Lord full time, helping these campus ministries move forward and helping train uh, college students and equip them to reach other college students and Lord willing to follow the Lord's uh, leading for living a life on mission of making disciples and followers of Jesus Christ wherever God sends them and leads them and so uh, it's a very very important ministry that they're part of there's a table at the back our get involved table that uh, they have set up a display with a just a slideshow and then several materials if you want to learn more about connection ministry there's prayer cards for uh, all of their ministries I would love for you to to go over and just you know, shake their hands after service is over. Uh, the greeting in German for hello is, Hallo. <laughs> At least that's how I said it. I probably butcher it though, you know. Hallo. But anyway, that was how I did it. And then goodbye to the men is, Tschüss. I made, made the mistake when I was in Germany of saying, Tschüssi, because the ladies in Bonn, where we were for a whole week, all said, it was primary, primarily ladies in, in Anya's group, it was, they would all say, choosy, and so all the guys got used to saying this goofy, you know, statement for a guy to say like that, and I get to the East German connection group, and I tried that, and I had puzzled looks, and so I learned that men don't say that, men say choos, choos, and so to the man, goodbye is choos, to the lady, you can, you can do that with a little more flair, and so... Uh, but for those of you that would like to, to meet them and interact with them, we are. Uh, I'm going to be taking them to lunch at the Riverside Plaza. There's a patio out in front of Blaze Pizza. There's a handful of places, Chipotle. There's a burger place. There's places to eat. And so if you'd like to meet with them, interact with them more, I invite you to come and enjoy lunch with them, getting to know them. And they would love to, to share more about their story with all of you. In, in January, actually in, in December, we voted as a church at our annual business meeting to begin supporting the Connection Ministry. And so since January... Uh, each month we're supporting, uh, these three campus ministries and their leaders primarily because they do raise their support. And so, uh, but they, they are here, uh, on their own. You know, they raised support even to come on this vision trip. And so, uh, this has been a good time for them to just be recharged, refreshed, and ready to go back and stay after the ministry that God has placed on them. And so be praying for them. I would really love for you to meet all of them. We as a church, we've been walking through the book of James. It is a very practical, straightforward book in the New Testament, and it's probably the most practical in that it's just it's it is uh, it's all about doing and applying God's word. And so it's 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 hard hitting in its advice. It's it's straightforward. Uh, Martin Luther, who's the German reformer, he actually called James the strawy epistle or the epistle of straw. Basically, it, it lacks the rich doctrinal content that you might find in the book of Romans and some other... And so that was the comment about James. Not that you should ignore James, but it's, you might read through it and think, where's all the deep doctrinal content? And really, it's rich in how you apply... The 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 rich content that you might find in the book of Romans, the Book of Ephesians, some of the, the where the, where there's just doctrines spelled out and fleshed out. James is like, okay, what's the nuts and bolts of how you live this out? So James gets to how do I live out the Christian faith? And so we've been covering some pressure packed subjects. The first week we had a panel of men up here on the stage and we talked about life under pressure and each man each man just shared the pressure points that they're facing and just described how real growth in life comes under pressure in fact wherever you find the most pressure in life think about where where am i experiencing the most pressure right now some of you are raising newborns some of you are you're holding your your pressure point right now it's like you know this is a challenge you know there's constant pressure i'm exhausted i'm fatigued i'm i'm trying to you know to to safely you know nurture and raise this little one some of you are raising like uh, runners, you know, little toddlers that are running. You're trying to keep them, you know, safe. And some of you are raising teenagers, and that's a whole nother pressure point. Some of you are trying to launch college students. Some of you are college students, and your pressure point is in class right now, and you're just gearing up for finals, and on and on. Some of you are deep in your careers, and your pressure point is a, is a boss or a coworker. It could be somebody that lives in your house. There's just pressure. And wherever you're experiencing the most pressure, that's likely where God is training you. We want to run from pressure, but as we looked at the first week, God actually uses pressure in our lives to grow us. Some of our growth comes no other way than to endure through the pressure. The second week, we looked at James's strategy for temptation. What do we do when we're tempted? As he gave some real clear, practical steps on dealing with temptation, understanding temptation. The third week, we highlighted how God's word is to be acted upon, not just heard, not just listened to. We're not just to take in sermons and Bible studies and take in more of God's truth in order to just tuck it away, but it needs to be acted out. It needs to be lived out. And then John, he followed that up last week by talking about how living faith is true, not just true, but is both true and real. And he gave a really important pointed message on what real faith looks like. It's got to be real. Or what living faith looks like. It's got to be real. It's not just information. It's got to be lived out. And so his... His message and the third week really flowed well together. If you missed any of those, those are on our website. And if you, if you want to check those out, you can always go back to those. Today we're going to focus on our words. The pressure point of when you open up your mouth. <laughs> Every time we open up our mouth, uh, we're setting up a direction for our life. And so our words, not a day goes by where we don't open our mouth and leave an impression. Not a day goes by where we don't open our mouth and say some things that leave a mark through our words. It's like this picture here. Our words, their impact is undeniable. Our words can sting. Our words can even scar. People can carry around scars from the words we've said carelessly. And in fact, many of us, we, we carry around things that were said of us. Statements, labels, uh, we heard people say, and they didn't hear us saying it, but we heard it, and we, we've we been damaged by that, and we've been harboring that, we're, we're struggling through that. And so sometimes we just fail as people to restrain our words. We restrain our we fail to restrain our anger, and we let the words fly. Or sometimes we, we get in a situation where people are talking, and, and we get in there, and we start engaging, and we dominate, and we, we take over the conversation with our words. We're tempted to be the center of attention, and to be the star, and... We just keep going and going and not really giving others a chance to, to talk. And that's, that's one way we can use our words to damage is we just say too much. Another thing is we carelessly can just say whatever comes to our mind. Well, it's the thought I've got. I've got to say it. I've got to get it out. We're going to look at that. Sometimes we're tempted to label people. Sometimes we see a situation, we see a person, and we're tempted to give a label and to be judgmental with our words. Get a bunch of guys together and throw like a football at them. Or a basketball and a hoop, and all of a sudden the words start flying. It's like one-upping, one-upping, careless words and bragging and and insults start flying. I've got an example of that from the movie True Grit. It's an old, it's a movie from the about the Old West where a couple of lawmen get into a war of words with each other, and this is where things can go. Things can get careless really quickly once we start letting our words fly. So let's take a look at this video clip.
1: Sportsman's a healthy distance to me, but I would encourage the creature you ride the head center. Out here, a one-armed man looks like he's a prey. (laughs) And a one-eyed man who can't shoot? Why don't you turn back, Godburn? I'll do fine. I know where the Parmalee claim is. I'm uninjured, well-provisioned, and we agreed to separate. In conscience, you cannot side our agreement. You're the one who shot me. Mr. LeBeef has a point, Marshal. It isn't unfair leg like, up in any competition to shoot your opposite number. you not not it as a given that I did shoot LeBeef. There are plenty of guns going on. I, I heard the rifle, and I felt the ball. You missed your shot, Cogburn. Missed my it. shot? You are more handicapped without the eye than I without the arm. i can been a that side now in the yard. That kind is been in front of them cheap shells on me again. I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your eye. I'm just one high. One fire. There. There! My bullet! Your bullet? If you hit what you aim at, explain my shoulder. Gentlemen, shooting cornbread out here on the prairie is getting us no closer to the Ned Pepper gang. One more. This'll prove it. We hold fire.
0: That's that's a good picture of what happens when the words start flying. Just it gets careless, right? I mean, we—I'm sure I'm not the only one that's regretted just letting the words fly, and and then the actions that follow. These guys are getting seriously close to injuring each other, and and that's the way words work—is things escalate with our words. We have a thought, and then it—it it, we let it out our mouth, and things escalate. Here's some just familiar scenarios. Maybe you've been at the dinner table and someone shares a problem. They've had a really rough day. They share a problem with you and you, you have an opportunity to respond. You could respond with, well, that was dumb. Anyone, you know, would know you should have done so-and-so and correct the situation. Jump in, give some correction, give some judgment. The situation just escalates at that point. Now you you, you ignite a little bit of fire. Or you can you can actually... Change that approach, and again, the person sharing, "I've had a really rough day. It's been a, it's been a rough experience." You could respond with, "Man, that sounds difficult. How'd that make you feel? How are you doing?" I mean, you can just our two different responses. The same scenario, but our response to that can just ignite something or diffuse, or it works. Someone gets in your face. Someone really lays into you. They're having a rotten day, and they they take it out on you, and you're like, "This has nothing to do with me." But you just happen to be in the hallway, or you just happen to be in the situation where. You cross their path, and you have you have a choice. You can either respond with "Who do you think you are?" talking to me like that. Who who do you think you are? You can respond in anger, or you can respond with, "Man, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry it's not working out today. You know, how can I help?" Or you want to talk about this? There's we have this opportunity every time a situation arises. We got to choose which path are we going to take. Take out your listening guide, and it says at the top, and this is really what we're going to focus on. Our words, they either blow up, or they diffuse life's pressure points. All of our words, they either blow it up, or they kind of de-escalate the situation. They can diffuse things. We're going to look at James 3. Before we get into James 3, we're going to look at James's corollary in the, in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs, really, again... Very similar. It's practical, straightforward advice from the book of Proverbs. We'll look at some wisdom verses uh, from from the wisdom books of the Old Testament. So look at Proverbs 29, verse 11. It says this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. There's a stream of thought in our world that says it's unhealthy. Here's the thought. It's unhealthy to hold stuff in. Have you ever heard that before? Like, if you're frustrated, if you're getting emotional, if you're getting angry, it's unhealthy to stuff it down and to just, you know, stuff it down. It's unhealthy to not vent it out. You need to get it out. The idea is that we need to vent our emotions or we'll get messed up psychologically. That's kind of the stream of thought. You need to vent, right? You've probably heard this before. And the way we vent is our mouth. Our mouth is the vehicle... Through which we vent our emotions, and in pressure-packed circumstances, our words have tremendous power to either bless or to, to curse. We have the freedom to to speak in a way that just blows up on people if we choose, or we have a we have a way to just really uh, neutralize or diffuse a situation. Our words can be like bombs, or they can dismantle the bomb. Uh, The wise person, Proverbs says, holds it back. They don't have to vent to others is what it's saying. You get in a situation, there's pressure, there's anger, words are flying. We don't have to vent to that person. Instead, there's a response, there's a better response. And so we we need to think through, what's the wise response? And to come up with the wise response, it requires a very careful and focused thought. Here's a picture of a movie called The Hurt Locker. This is a movie about a bomb disposal unit from the Iraq wars. And from this movie, you see that diffusing a bomb is a long, drawn-out process. It's not like you just haphazardly, oh, clip this, pull this, detonate this. No, if you do that, you're you're wanting to get blown up. So it's this long, drawn-out process. Here's a picture of the suit that they wear to diffuse these bombs. I mean, look at that thing. They got some protection. In case this thing goes off, they're protected. Because, you know, this could get incredibly damaging and messy. It would be great to be able to wear suits like this, right? When we're interacting with each other and the bombs start going off just to have this kind of protection like, oh, that didn't hurt me. Words don't hurt me, you know. But the reality is words sting. They scar. Words can bring tremendous good, though. Look at Proverbs 25, 11. Here's, here's Here's a way to use your words. Proverbs says, A word fitly spoken. Like the right kind of word, a word that fits the situation. A word Philly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. This, this is like describing a custom piece of jewelry or a custom piece of art that takes time to put together. This finished product could be beautiful, but it's not something you just, you know, a custom piece of art is not something you just do in, in a few hours. It's, it's gonna take some time. You don't throw it together. It takes special care. Well that's, that's what this proverb is saying is, our words, if we take the time to think through what, what needs to happen here, we can use some time to process without responding. We, we, can, we can set something up that can bring pleasure to others. It can build up people. It can encourage people. Choosing the right type of words is like diffusing that bomb, basically. Many of the Psalms, Psalms is, is kind of a massive book in the middle of your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. We're not going to look into these verses, but if you read through the Psalms, you have a record of King David, the king of Israel, venting his emotions to God. So we have an option. When we're, when we're being pushed, we can either vent and take it out on the person in front of us, or we can start talking to God about it and saying, God, I am, I am frustrated. I'm ticked off. This person has pushed me to my limits. You read through the Psalms, David's doing that. He is venting. He's not stuffing it down. He's actually talking, but he's talking to God. About his struggles. He's talking to God about the pressure-packed circumstances. He's talking to God about the enemies that he's facing. And so when you read the, the Psalms, it's like, wow, he's pretty, he's pretty chapped right now, David. But he's actually taking, he's taking his concerns to God and he's saying, God, you take care of them. And would you help me to trust you? Would you help me to wait on you? Would you help me to bring my concerns to you? Would you settle me down? Would you give me peace? But God, you take care of my enemies. He's not venting to His enemies and coming at them. He's, he's entrusting them to God. under pressure and the uncertainty of the outcome, we can really pray. We can pray in that moment. Father, I don't appreciate what they just said to me. I don't appreciate what they just did to me. And everything inside of me wants to just strangle them. But would you help me to not do that? Would you help me to do and say what will honor you? Will you help me to do what would be pleasing to you? Would you handle the correction that needs to go on here? Lord, I'm going to trust you right now. Help me to calm down. That's, that's kind of what you read in, in, in the Psalms of what David describes. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we open our mouth and the harsh words start flying, those can really scar. Here's a clip from the old movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is uh, where Steve Martin and John Candy get into like a a contentious uh, point in their relationship. They were strangers and they met kind of by happenstance and now they're kind of stuck with each other, but they're fed up with each other. And especially Steve Martin, he's fed up with the other guy. And the words just start flying. Look at how careless and much damage comes from this encounter.
1: Go ahead, sleep in the lobby, see if I care. I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. You're no saint. You've got a free cab, you've got a free room, and someone who'll listen to your boring stories. I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading the vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue, like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it? You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are, that are funny or, or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li- I'd like you to meet Dell Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. <sighs> I, I, I could tolerate any, any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith, I can take anything. And you know what they would say? They'd say, I know what you mean. Shower curtain ring guy. Whoa. Oh, it's it's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. Well, I expect you have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. Except I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back, you would. Ah, 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 ah And by the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target.
0: How do you recover from that? How do you back out of that kind of an exchange? Hey, hey man, everything I just said, I was just kidding. Sorry. Oops. Sometimes the best choice is to say less. Look at Ecclesiastes 6.11. The more the words, the less the meaning. How does that profit anyone? Sometimes we just wish, oh, I wish I wouldn't have continued on. Wish I could just roll back the tapes, hit rewind, and back up before any of this started. Why did I let those thoughts turn into sentences? Or Proverbs 17, 28, very similar. Even a fool, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. This is actually describing a very angry person. The word fool here, the Hebrew talks about. Kind of a, a reactive personality, but even a person who has a struggle with their anger, if they just keep quiet he, he, everyone assumes man he 's pretty wise he 's pretty wise they may not struggle they may not realize he 's struggling, but the if he restrains himself they're, they're, you know it 's making an, impre- an impression on the group we, we need to use less words now let 's turn to w- look what James says James chapter three verse uh, we 're going to look at verses two and on, so it goes from this it says. And really, this is James, just a summary of, of James's advice here. Number one is controlling our tongue is really the key to controlling ourselves. Controlling our tongue. If you want to control your life, you want to control the direction your life is going, learn to control your tongue, James says. Learn to control your tongue. Look at the passage, James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It's just a small part of our body, but man, can it just? it can just go. James says, look, nobody has a perfect track record with their tongue, but it's important to keep working on it because the words that flow from our mouth set the direction for our life. He says, you know, just like that small bit inside of the horse's mouth, the rider directs so that the bit causes the horse to move in a certain direction or or the captain of his ship, he'll turn the rudder so that the giant ship is, is moving in a different course. The bit, the rudder, these are small things that direct something much larger. That's the same with our life. Our tongue directs something much larger. The words I say aren't just inconsequential. They're not these minimal things. They're directing the flow of my life. When we're only thinking something, it's very different than when we, when we speak. You know, our thoughts and our words, you know, we often think, well, I'm thinking it. I've got to say it. That's, that's, that's not true. Just because you're thinking it, doesn't give you permission to say it. Good example of this for me. I, I, this happened to me a few times, but even within the last year, I've been in a theater, movie theater, and people were talking in the movie. And this has probably happened to many of us. You know, people are talking. You know, it's just a whisper is one thing. But when people are like really talking and just commenting and talking to each other and they're interrupting your movie, does it frustrate you? I mean, Yeah. If they're texting. If they're really, and I, not too long ago, we were sitting in the theater and, and there was like full on conversation, lots of comments. I'm just like, I'm getting fed up with this. I, I got to say something. I'm getting, it's just starting to like, the words are, you know, the tip of my tongue. And I want to stand up and I want to tell them, be quiet. Two things probably keep me from doing that. One is my wife, <laughs> which is like, just settle down, relax, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. We paid money for this. It's not okay. It's okay. Just relax. Second thing is, I couldn't see the size of the people talking, and 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 if 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 I were to say big words with my little tongue and my little body, that's going to direct the course of my future, and probably your future because you go to this church, and when it shows up in the paper and you read about your pastor knocked out cold or in a fist fight in the theater over telling someone to be quiet. So thinking about something and actually saying something is two different things. For example, thinking about quitting and telling your boss that you're considering quitting are two different things and you need to keep that straight in your mind. Because once you speak about I'm thinking about quitting, thinking about looking for a new place to work, (laughs) you may as well have quit at that point because... By speaking it, you're making much more of a commitment to a direction in his mind or her mind. And so, our thoughts and our words, we have to be able to separate these issues and realize, I don't have to say everything that comes to my mind. It's important to keep our mind on a leash. If you want to control your tongue, you control your thoughts. You deal with things at the thought level. If you're having a hard time with your tongue, you deal with things at the thought level. That will help bridle the tongue. A second thing James points out is this. Careless words, and we see this, we saw this in these video clips. Careless words ignite serious trouble in our lives. Serious trouble in our lives. Look at verse five, the second part of verse five. James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Wow. Our tongue is like dipping down into some dark places and can send some real damaging bombs and poison. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you know anyone who blew up at their boss, got angry and yelled at their boss, or just carelessly answered back to their boss and was fired on the spot? Cost them their job? Some of you are managers. Some of you are supervisors. And you've had to let go of people who couldn't control their tongue. They they couldn't work well with others. And their tongue cost them their work. Cost them their job. In the Bible, there's a connection, especially in the wisdom books, of our words and our work. Our words and our work. If a person has a hard time holding down a job, m- many times it's the fact that their mouth gets them into trouble. And the Proverbs especially highlight the issue of the connection of our words and our work. But our tongue, it has tremendous power. The Bible says we need to keep it in check. Otherwise, well, because we will eat of its fruit for good and for bad. If we've done good with it, we we eat of the juicy fruit, the tasty fruit, the good fruit. If we do bad with it, do harm with it, we eat of the rotten fruit, the mealy fruit, depending on the words we choose. Our tongue is a small thing, but it can ignite a raging fire in our lives, and in our homes, in our church. We can do real damage to a church through our tongues. And we think, oh, it's no big deal. I'm entitled to say what I want to say. You could do real damage with your tongue. Because God cares about the unity factor, you know. And so when we start letting things go and being careless, we're actually finding ourselves in opposition to God when we start getting careless. You do that on the job, same thing. You're you're finding yourselves in opposition with the momentum and the unity of an organization. If you start getting caustic and careless with your words, you're coming in opposition to the mission of this company, the mission of this workplace that you work for. And you're not going to last long in that environment. It's going to work against you. Because of all this stuff, James, he, he, he just puts us... Um, on alert to this area look at where this continues it's actually I'm going to read just a few more verses from James it's not going to be up here on the screen but verses 9 through 11 say with the tongue with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing so he's saying and then look and he says my brothers these things ought not to be so Shouldn't be so that we can curse God or curse others and bless God. And it's come, flowing from the same source. He's saying this is the problem. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is a big issue. And so James, he's saying, look, we need to handle our words differently. And so there's a there's a passage I want to read. You do have this in your listening guide. Let's continue reading verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James asks a rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is a rhetorical question. And this connects to John's message last week. Basically, this is the original show and tell. If you claim to be wise, it should show up in your your life. In your words, in your work, in your relating to people, if you claim to be wise, who's wise? Not let it, let them show it. It's show and tell. Wisdom must be lived out. There's a wise approach to words, and there's a foolish one. One who is truly wise, they they show that. They apply what they know to reality. One who's not wise, it just it it shows up. It's show and tell. Verse fourteen says, "But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart." Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And our harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so, couple things as we close. Screen, we need to screen our thoughts very carefully before we speak. Three things. Number one is by praying. Again, our, our thoughts, our words are connected to our thoughts. We need to screen all of our thoughts we need to pray. God, help me to know. When I open my mouth, I'm about to open my mouth. God, help me to know what would please you. Help me to know what's going to benefit the group. What's going to benefit those around. Because we're a mixed bag of motives. And James is saying, look, be careful. So we, we need to pray. When we open our mouths, we need God's help to use words that will build others up, not tear them down. Secondly, rejecting bitter jealousy. Screen our thoughts and and just chuck, get rid of, reject bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. James describes the havoc that, that can happen within us. He says, you know, if you let bitter jealousy and selfish ambition loose in your heart, it shows up. It shows up. And that's actually the wisdom, not coming from above, but from below. It's saying, "Well, that's wisdom that's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil, he says. Wherever jealousy, selfish ambition exists, you see it because there's disorder, there's chaos, there's every vile practice. Things reek if that takes over a culture. And so, what do we need to do? We need to reject the wrong thoughts about people. We need to reject the wrong thoughts about circumstances. And James, he describes the outcome. Our hearts, if we don't reject it, our hearts get filled with bitter jealousy towards others. This is a jealousy that, is, that has a great enthusiasm behind it. It's, it's jealousy that gets out of hand. It's powerful. It drives us towards resentment and towards hurtful words. And we can also be driven by selfish ambition, James says. We start rivaling, you know, having a rivalry with, with people. We start harboring things in our heart. So, we know we're in this wrong place that we need to reject thoughts when thoughts come to our mind like, they seem to have it all together. I wish I had their life. They seem to be the perfect you know, couple. They seem to be the perfect family. He seems to be the smartest guy and has all the opportunities. She seems like she has it all together and we start getting into bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I want some of that. I want more of that. I want the attention they seem to get. Or, or how come they get to lead how come they get to sing on stage? I want to sing on stage. I want to. I want to play that instrument. How come they get to? How come they get to marry? How come they get to parent? How come they get to go on vacation? Why don't I get those things? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. It, it can fuel the words that start flowing. How come they get to drive that? Live there. And on and on and on. Have you ever thought those kinds of thoughts? When we start thinking those thoughts, James is saying, this isn't coming from the wisdom from above. This is coming from a different place. The thoughts that are arising, that resembles more earthly thoughts, unspiritual thoughts, worldly thoughts. James even says that's that's demonic. And at the root of it is, really, the enemy would love to just destroy. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy... Groups. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy the progress that, that God wants to see made in our world. Now, thankfully, James just says, "Reject that stuff and replace, replace it with godly wisdom. Replace with godly wisdom." Look at these two final verses. You, you saw him. He just gives this list. Pull that uh, this final verse up. The wisdom from above. You know, it has this certain feel about it. It's peaceable. It's open to reason. Full of mercy. You know, when we're in the pressure points of life, when we're stressed out at work, when we're in tension at home, when finances are tight, we need God's perspective and we need His wisdom. It looks a certain way. James says this is what it looks like. It starts showing up. For you, I, I want to encourage you, you all to, to consider what does this look like in, in, in my life? As I, as I go about my day, where does this apply? Is it with my kids? Is it with my friends? Co-workers, with my boss, is it for folks in the congregation that I interact with? You know, we have scenario after scenario of of we hit a fork in the road. We can either go this way with our words and choose to bless, or we can go this way and choose to damage. And so, how is God speaking to you this morning? I'd just take a moment and kind of process what God is saying. Do you. you want to invite our worship team to join me back up on the stage and? I want to highlight a couple of next steps to consider taking this morning. The first one is this. It's to to screen my thoughts this week by, and fill in the blank. And as we've said, you want to control your words. You have to work on the thought process. You have to work on the thought life. That's where our words are being generated from. And second, ask God to show me where I can apply these truths. God, where specifically does this apply? And then third, read James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 and then come back uh, next Sunday. This will just help you get prepared for next week's message. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, wisdom from above. Right? We want to... We don't want to set bombs in our relationships. We don't want to set bombs in, in church life or at our workplace or amongst our friends. Lord, we want to... We want to be those that, that are diffusing and really carefully setting up people for um, for good with our words. Help us, God, to speak words that really bring good to those around us, that are fitting, that are appropriate, Lord, that are that are building up, God, because this is a real gift. Words can be a tremendous gift. They can have tremendous power to, to help people move forward in life. So, God, would you help us, God, to see where to apply this, God. Uh, here and now. We ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.